Greetings, Table Church. Hey, I'm excited today to start a new sermon series, and it's going to be about marriage. So we've entitled it State of Our Unions, Marriage in Process. Now, that could say marriage under construction. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at our very first topic, and I'm entitling this first topic, Marriage, A Bed of Roses. And I'm going to look at two things today. Number one, the covenant of marriage, and the second thing, the roles that we fulfill within marriage. And trust me, I know that marriage is not just a metaphoric bed of roses. Uh, and that's why next week we're going to cover marriage, a lots of thorns. Right, so there's definitely roses, but there's also thorns in marriage. And then week three, all the way up through week 10, and perhaps even farther, uh, we're going to cover topics like sex and sexuality within marriage, finances, roles. Again, uh, we're going to look at things like communication and conflict resolution. Lots of you have been sending me questions about marriage, your thoughts around topics regarding marriage, and I appreciate those and ask you to continue to send those to me. And so as we get started today, I, I thought it would be a fun way to get started by asking the question, what does marriage mean? A lot of you have thoughts right now coming to your mind about what it means, maybe what you saw growing up, maybe a friend of yours that's married, or even a marriage that you're in right now. Uh, so what does it mean to be married? And I say it's kind of funny to get started because uh, I found some funny kids quotes off the internet about what they think it means to be married, and I hope you enjoy some of these. When asked, what do most people do on dates? Lynette, age eight, said, dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say to you if you listen long enough. <laughs> or Martin, age 10, said, on the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go on for a second date. By the way, I wonder how some of these marriages of these kids are going present day. When asked, what would you do on a first date if that date was turning sour? Craig, age nine, said, I'd run home and play dead. The next day, I would call all the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me and all the dead columns. Or when asked, when is it okay to kiss someone? Pam, age seven, said, when they're rich. Or Howard, age eight, said, the rules go like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids with them. It's just the right thing to do. When asked, how do you decide who to marry? Alan, age 10, said, and by the way, here's a warning. Uh, before I read Alan's comment, you got to find someone who likes the same stuff. Like, you know, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports. And she should keep the chips and dip coming. Wow. Um, don't model your marriage after uh, Alan there, please. Kristen, age 10, said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> Once again, I, perhaps we may or may not want to know how uh, those marriages are going right now. 
A little bit more serious quote about the definition of marriage. I'm turning to preacher and author Timothy Keller from his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He gives a solid definition of marriage that we'll be using today as well as throughout this marriage sermon series. He says that it's a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. And according to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring union. State of our unions, marriage in process. Well, a few words to our audience. Uh, Let me say, first of all, if you're single and you're joining us, you are either like some of those kids at the very beginning that we quoted uh, who gave their definition of marriage, uh, or you're single and you're dating right now. You're dating or you're either pre-engaged, you're courting someone, or you are absolutely disinterested in being married. Or perhaps you're married, uh, and if married, you're either happily married, you are hurtfully married, or maybe a little bit of both, or perhaps somewhere in your marriage, you and your spouse have just chosen to coexist with one another. Or maybe you're divorced, and if divorced, you're either still grieving that loss, or you're glad to be single again or you're wanting to be married all over again. And perhaps you're widowed as you're listening to this. Perhaps you're still grieving your loss, or you're wanting to be married again, or you've vowed that you never, ever want to marry again. Uh, The second thing I would want to say is remember that we're in a pandemic. Uh, You're not surprised by by me making that statement, but it actually relates to marriage, And these relationships, because this pandemic that we're going through and that we're all in right now, can exacerbate some of the challenges that you and I are going through in our marriages. And so I just want to say a word here to be gentle on yourself, be gentle with your spouse, to love one another, and to remember that they're going through the same challenges that you're going through in this weird, funky time of pandemic. A third reminder, I would say, is that there are great resources. So amidst you and your spouse having very uh, different personalities, traits, gifts, talents, abilities, weaknesses, uh, amidst going through a pandemic while being married or your marriage being put on the rocks or up against the ropes, remember that there's encouragement and great resources available to you and to me. And so I'm going to be prescribing some of these resources, because I need them. I need them in my marriage, and I know that you need them, and you need that encouragement in your marriage. The first resource is God. God, this person that desires you to know him through your marriage. Now, the second resource is just spiritual formation, that of the practice of prayer, meditation, scripture intake, and the growth that comes from that. Books. Books that shape our view of marriage. We'll be recommending some of those. Some exercises that I'll be recommending that will strengthen, bolster, and catapult your marriage forward. 
And then I'm going to be recommending to find a married couple that you look up to, perhaps like a uh, married mentor, mentorship that you can talk with regularly for encouragement to support you in your marriage. And then lastly, but perhaps one of the most important is I'm going to be prescribing marriage counseling. Uh, We in our marriage, we've benefited from it. We continue to benefit from it. And it's made for all of us. It's made for all of us in marriage. And so the idea would be for you and your spouse to receive marriage counseling. Um, And I think the quintessential benefit would be to receive it from a marriage and family therapist, someone who's trained and licensed in that. But if you and your spouse can't attend that together, I would say that you should still receive that marriage counseling all by yourself if the spouse is not willing to do it together. So today we're looking at marriage, a bed of roses. And yeah, this this talk is going to be pretty much the purpose of marriage and encouragement to get married if you're not married. And for those of you who are married, to remain married, to stay married, to see it as a blessing. And the two things we're looking at today in this sermon is the covenant of marriage and the roles within marriage. First of all, the covenant of marriage. Genesis chapter 2, we see this beautiful union, this beautiful union, and I'm going to read a portion from Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping... He took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Well, God creates male and female and brings them together in this beautiful first marriage of human history. It says that husbands and wives are to leave and cleave. This sacred bound in marriage was a union together. Leave your father and mother, leave your parents, and cleave to one another, be in union together. Another passage from the Old Testament that gives us a meaning of marriage is the prophetical book, Hosea. And in the book of Hosea, there's this metaphor of God's relationship to us. God's relationship to us is like that of a marriage. There's this image of what a faithful marriage union looks like. It's what a faithful marriage is that we all dream of. And that's because that's what God intended it to be like. So the book of Hosea depicts us as having broken that covenant relationship with God 
We've been unfaithful to God in this metaphoric marriage to God, yet God as the truly faithful and loving spouse continues to pursue this unfaithful spouse and remains married and in union with us. In fact, that's the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. So the Bible uses this word covenant, covenant when describing our relationship with God and when it describes the marriage union. It doesn't use the words consumer marriage, doesn't use the words me marriage, but marriage is a covenant. And so that word covenant, I don't even think we use that word covenant in our culture anymore. But when studying the word covenant, covenant means a binding promise. It's a vow. Covenant is far more binding than a mere emotional relationship. You listen to this quote from poet W.H. Auden. He says, Like everything which is not the involuntary result of fleeting emotion, but rather the creation of time and will, any marriage, happy or unhappy, is infinitely more interesting than any romance, however passionate. What he's saying here is that the covenant promise is infinitely more interesting That's what's truly interesting in any marriage. Not the passionate romance. And I would dare to say that the deeper the covenant vow and promise within a marriage, perhaps promises a deeper sense of romance within the marriage. I listen to this quote from poet and philosopher, theologian Soren Kierkegaard on the covenant of marriage. He says, if you don't know the discipline." of making a promise and sticking with it. You're not a free person. Rather, you're enslaved to the circumstances and to your feelings. Kierkegaard here is saying that a covenant, that is a pledge, a promise within marriage, keeps us from being enslaved to your own impulses, to your own sense of um, not having a covenant, So covenant is a binding promise that unites two people together. It has a vertical and a horizontal nature to it. It's what's done before God and all witnesses. If you've been to a wedding ceremony recently, I know we're all sheltering in place, so perhaps you've seen one via Zoom recently, or you remember your own wedding ceremony. It's done before God and all of these witnesses. It's a covenant. It's a promise done before humans and before God. So we're talking about these marriage vows. It's covenant is a merger. It's a merger of love and law. And I've seen and heard lots of marriage vows over the years. I've done a handful of officiated a handful of weddings and so forth and been to several weddings for friends and family. And so marriage vows are not merely a promise of present-day love, such as, I love you and I feel wonderful towards you right now, unless you begin to hurt me, and then I may not love you ever, ever, ever again. See, marriage vows are mutual and binding 
promise of future love. There's a choice of promising to love someone regardless of the circumstances. Do you see the beauty in this and the power in what this word covenant actually means? It's a promise for the future regardless of what I feel, regardless of what you feel. So covenant is promising not just to feel loving towards you, but by God's help, I'm going to be loving towards you. By God's help, I'm going to be tender. I'm going to be affectionate. I'm going to be faithful to you. Regardless of all the circumstances that we go through as spouses, regardless of what I feel and what you may feel. As someone at this point asked and have been in an appointment where someone has asked this question, and perhaps you're asking or a friend of yours is asking this question, now why do I have to be married with that little piece of paper, you know, called a marriage license or that covenant to prove that I love somebody? Why do I need to be married after all? Why can't we just cohabitate? Can't we just live together? And that's because cohabitating, cohabbing, living together before getting married. You know that person that says, he says he loves me, but he doesn't want to marry me. This probably, probably means he doesn't love you enough to marry you, sadly. So cohabitating means that you're truly not in covenant. You're constantly in what I would call marketing and promotion. You're still in marketing promotion saying to yourself and saying to this person, uh, this person might leave me unless I wear my makeup all the time or unless I keep impressing them. Now, let me just reiterate some of the benefits, some of the blessings of being in union and being in covenant together. Being in covenant together. One of the benefits is that it blesses you with security. Knowing that this person is committed to you for your entire life. Now I can know that this person is not going to walk out on me. Regardless of how much chemistry that we might be feeling between the two of us, we are bound together in union together, forever. That brings deep security. Another benefit of being in a covenant is that it blesses you with freedom. Freedom. See, there's freedom for both spouses to be who God has made you to be instead of constantly feeling pressure to impress one another or be who you think that they want you to be. And another benefit of being in covenant is that it blesses you with intimacy. We finally, through covenant, we finally in marriage start to open our hearts and speak vulnerably and truthfully to one another without fearing that your spouse is going to walk out of the relationship. Oh, what intimacy comes because of covenant. Not just the consumer mentality or the me mentality that you or your spouse may have. So that's just a little tidbit there. That's just a little snippet on what the word covenant means. What marriage looked like in the Garden of Eden, what God had intended it to be, 
And now as it filters down into these exciting roles that we get to fulfill in this union of marriage, let's look at some of these, some of the roles in, within marriage. I'll read from Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Christ gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Beautiful here, Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament, talking about males and females made in the image of God. And, and we know that males, therefore, uh, display attributes of God that, that through a man, they are unique and important. And females, there's attributes of God that are displayed through a woman that are unique and very, very important. So Ephesians chapter 5, a great summary here, is mutual service. That's a role. We think about marriage and what role you and I are to play in marriage as husband and wife. Before you even start saying who ought to be washing the dishes, who ought to be making the meals, who ought to be the main uh, income earner, and who ought to be the most uh, emotionally intelligent in the relationship, uh, to not rely on some of those stereotypical, perhaps traditional roles within marriage, but to view it more uh, from a biblical perspective is that these role, in these roles, we get to fulfill Jesus' role to us in marriage. Right, so there's mutual service one to the other. That's what's happening here in Ephesians chapter 5. Another scripture passage is Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 where it says that Jesus, just as the Son of Man, didn't come to be served, but to serve others. See how Jesus laid his life down to serve. John chapter 13, Jesus is pictured washing his disciples' feet as a way to show what a servant leader looks like. That's the role in marriage. That's the role that husbands have and that wives have have in marriage. Or Philippians chapter 2, it says that your attitude should be the same of Jesus, who made himself nothing and humbled himself. So mutual service to one another is a good way to summarize those roles. But let's open up the, the, the camera lens here a little bit more and talk about some more of these roles in marriage. These roles are not sequential. I can already anticipate some of you asking if these roles that I'm about to mention, if they're sequential or not. No, they're actually interchangeable. They actually play off of one another. And so um, 
They're going to enhance one another. So let me start naming some of them. But you, in marriage, are called to be friends. Friends. To truly know and love and support one another. That's what builds trust. Is it's a friendship. Knowing that someone is your friend, that you can trust them. Someone is going to support you. I can say of my wife, Carolyn, that we've become best friends. I can truly trust this person to support one another, to care for one another, to truly listen to one another, as best friends do, to pray for one another. And that's the Christian goal within marriage, is that deep character change would be happening among these friends. See, a true friend is not trying to control you. A true friend is not trying to change you. But in a deep friendship, and having that role of being friends, there's great trust that gets developed. The second role is teammates. Marriage is both an organism and an organization. So marriage, there is this idea of working together. There's almost like the marriage is a small business of sorts. We are teammates in this business, working together, making decisions, and achieving shared goals, evaluating those shared goals, finding out different parts that we play, roles that we're going to play, and achieving those dreams and goals that we have as we move together in unity and in unison together to be teammates, fulfilling those things, taking care of the business of life, sometimes very mundane things and the practicality of daily living. Things like food, clothing, shelter, money, etc. Another role we play is that of lovers. Lovers, yes, deep, hot romance. To enjoy God's gift of sex for mutual delight and mutual pleasure for which God intended it to be enjoyed within marriage. That God has made us sexual creatures, sexual beings with needs and with desires. And that marriage is truly God's context whereby those needs, those sexual needs and those sexual desires gets fulfilled. Where one spouse gives to the other and receives from the other and both enjoy the pleasure that God has given them. And so sexual fidelity Not only sexual intimacy, but sexual fidelity and faithfulness fits within the context of being in a covenantal relationship to the other, that it's not an open marriage. Others aren't invited to come in on this marriage sexually. Uh, We play the role of parents. God's blessing upon us as parents, it flows His covenant flows to us and then to our children. And then from those children to their children and to their children's children. God is about building heritages that are a part of his family and that we get the privilege as parents of creating together. So that when God blesses you, God is intending to bless your children and your children's children way into the future. Another role that we play together is that of being children of God together. Yeah, 
helping one another grow in your relationship with God together. Now, this is a point where I'll mention that some of you may be wondering what's a good criteria for choosing a spouse. How do I choose a spouse? And let me say real quickly that just looking at someone's looks is not a good metric. It's not the total metric that you want to use in sort of sizing up uh, who might be a good spouse for you. In fact, you're, you're, you're probably, if you're doing that as a metric, you're, you're, you're missing out on a whole lot of other potential candidates for a spouse. So let me encourage you with this one. Who would be a person that would help you grow in your relationship with God? Is this the kind of person that's going to help you do that? And so in this role of being children of God together, you're helping one another grow in Christ together. God has given you someone to help you grow. There's mutual discipleship that's taking place together. Encouragement for your spiritual formation. Someone's helping to look after you and care for you so that you might grow. It's growing in the fruit of the Spirit, as the Bible refers to it. For the book of Galatians, as we grow in our relationships with God, the fruit of the Spirit that grows in us and that which you want to be seeing grow and helping grow in your spouse is the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So to know someone, that is hopefully your spouse, that is going to be helping you grow as a child of God. And one last role I'm going to mention here is the role of co-laborers in God's mission to serve God together. And we mentioned earlier to serve one another, but now in terms of being co-laborers in God's mission together, now we're serving God together with the individual gifts and talents and passions and dreams that God has given us that we begin to collaborate together and with God as a married couple. They have two different, very unique stories that come together, two different sets of gifts, two different personalities that come together. And God allows them to have a broader impact, a deeper impact, because God brought those two people together to be co-laborers in God's mission, to know and love people well, and to serve our world together. Well, in conclusion, the covenant of marriage and the roles within marriage, what we've been discussing today, is I want you to remember the promise and vow, yeah, this covenant that God has made towards us. God has made towards us that right now, if you are in union with God through Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you are already in the best marriage imaginable. You are wed to Christ. You are married. And we are in the best marriage possible because of God's faithfulness to us. Remember that covenant. And because of that covenant and because of those roles that we now play in marriage, remember that God is with you. God is beside you. God is to your left. God is to your right. God is in front of you, behind you, above you, below you, in you, helping you love your spouse, helping you give love away to 
that person because you've been loved by God that dramatically. And so he wants you and wants me to give that love away to our spouse. So why don't we pray right now as we conclude this first sermon uh, on marriage, a bed of roses, and as we continue this upcoming sermon series, why don't we pray right now for God to bless our marriages and for God to be glorified in these marriages. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are our heavenly bridegroom. Use these relationships, married or not married, if we're single or divorced or widowed. Uh, Use these relationships for us to know you more intimately, God. Use these relationships to be a window into the gospel so that a world that doesn't know you could see you more clearly. We long for the day, O Christ, that you'll return and we'll be united with you. That day when you come to consummate our marriage with you, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.